And indeed, you are worthy of all praise and all glory. Father, we thank you for how you've showered your blessings on us by sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins, providing a means for the atonement of our sin and, and uh, a new relationship with you, and we are so grateful. Father, it's a responsibility of the gift that you've given to us to be ambassadors for you. Christ's words to his followers was to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being your ambassadors. You, you don't need us, <laughs> but you've seen fit to use us for your glory. Father, we thank you for those that are full-time in ministry serving you across this globe. And Lord, as Pam prayed earlier, we're thankful for those that we as a body of believers can support. And Lord, we're blessed this week and next to have individuals who are on the forefront, the front lines serving you. And we are so grateful and honored to have them here. Be with Bill as he comes and shares from your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are honored to have Bill and Winnie Babyone with us. Uh, we know them more affectionately as Ben's parents. Ben is our worship director here full time, and we're so grateful for Ben. You, you've done a nice job, Dad and Mom, and we are truly blessed to have Ben, aren't we? Uh, he is such a blessing. Oh. I was sitting there listening to the music, and I thought if if that doesn't excite you, then you need to go test your, check your pulse. Uh, what a morning it has been already. And Susanna and Ellie, Ben's sisters, we are so glad that you're here with us as well. Since 2018, Bill and Winnie have served with Crew as part of the Athletes in Action AIA ministry. They have three different elements to their service in AIA. They serve with the international leadership team that helps use the vehicle of sports worldwide for evangelism and discipleship. Uh, you know, they didn't call me. That's a good thing. Uh, we're glad to have some athletic bones in our midst. They've launched an, an initiative called Momentum Ohio that uses the profile of athletes to add momentum to the Lord's work. And lastly, Bill is currently working on a doctorate in intercultural studies from Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Prior to serving here in the United States for 10 years, they served in Albania and Kosovo, where Bill served as the National Campus Director of Campus Crusade there. And then after serving there for 10 years, they were in Budapest, Hungary, where they gave leadership to the campus ministry of, our, of crew Eastern Europe and Russia. They were part of a team seeking to serve and provide direction to the campus ministries, listen to this, in 20 countries, an area that spanned 11 time zones. <laughs> so we are truly honored to have you here, Bill, this morning. Please join me in welcoming Bill Babyone. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. Um, it is a an incredible joy and such a humbling privilege to be able to share this stage this morning with my son. Um, if you're a parent, you know that, you know, if things work out well in their life, most of it is due to the grace of God. <laughs> 
And so, uh, and probably his mother. I'm not sure how much of that comes back to me. I would have to say that I remember in Budapest and Ben in his little room on the second floor of our little house in Budapest, he had a keyboard and a guitar and often I would go by that room and I would hear him in there playing and singing his heart out as you see him singing his heart out here. And I would pray that God one day, I pray that you would unleash those gifts and that passion uh, to bless uh, the body of Christ and to build up your kingdom. And so it is so beautiful to see just how God has opened a door and really led, uh, led this church to, to reach out to him and invite him to come here. Um, a couple weeks ago we were together and I asked Ben, I said, Ben, when have you most sensed the favor of God in your life? And he said, well, this church, the CBF church and this opportunity, and it was the first thing that came to his mind of how God has extended his favor into his life. And so we're really, really thankful and grateful for this body and we feel a a particular affection, obviously, now for this body. Every Sunday, before we go to church at 11 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, we're online with you guys. And so uh, uh, we're, we're uh, satellite members, I guess you would say, from Ohio. But it is a privilege to serve with athletes in action. What I would say is we're trusting God for movements of multiplying disciples everywhere in sport and through sports. That's our vision. I get to give leadership to the global work of Athletes in Action, and right now we have a ministry presence in 68 countries. Uh, 10 of those have been launched just in the last 12 months. And so places like Tajikistan and Nepal and Albania and Lesotho and others where the ministry has launched this last year. And uh, I think right here downtown Indy this afternoon, there's some Athletes in Action work going on. I think it's Faith and Family Day for the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich, who's the head coach of the, the Colts, is a committed believer and follower of Jesus, a part of Athletes in Action. And I think Paris Campbell is sharing his testimony today, a former Ohio State Buckeye who was involved in Athletes in Action as a student and now... Uh, as a professional player, and so we want to help see people like that take the platform that God has given him for his glory, but we're also trusting to use sport as a vehicle for churches to reach out in their communities all over the world, and what's amazing is that in some of the most difficult places on the planet where uh, to share Christ or to build the church, sport often opens a door and an opportunity that's very unique to share Christ. Uh, so you can pray for us. We're grateful that we get to be here. The theme for this week, uh, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, has a special resonance that's deep in my heart and life. In fact, a passage uh, that I would say are among a few life verses for me, coming from Romans 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. And so that, that calling, really from my teenage years, God planted a calling in my heart and my life to take the gospel where Christ is not named. But what I didn't know, and why this passage is so particularly important to me, is that when I was 24 years old, God called me to move to Illyricum. Illyricum today is known as Albania. And I didn't know he would have me learn the Illyrian language, 
the Albanian language and that that would become a big part of my life. Uh, when I went to Albania in 1993, Albania had been probably the most difficult country in the world uh, to take the gospel at that time. It was behind the Iron Curtain. It was a nation that sought to apply Marxism and communism, uh, actually declared itself the world's first legally atheistic state. I would compare it today to North Korea. So when you think about North Korea, that's where Albania was. It was the last domino to fall behind the Iron Curtain. On top of that, Albania was a people group, Albanians were a people group that prior to communism were 70% Muslim. So think about that. Here's a country that was isolated from the world, predominantly traditionally Muslim, sat, you know, went through 40 plus years of atheism and Marxism, taught everyone to disbelieve in the idea and the concept of God. There was no public worship, no underground church. When we went there the first time for two weeks, I was only going for two weeks, we saw over 200 college students make decision for Christ in two weeks. It was obvious that God had not forsaken Albania that God had a plan, and today, 30 years later, Albania has become a country that sends missionaries to other places in the world, and particularly has a passion to take the gospel to the Middle East and to, to Muslim contexts where Christ is not known. We serve an amazing God. We serve a God who has a plan for all the earth, uh, it is his intention, his plan, his purpose to raise up for himself a people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. And so today, I'm gonna to focus on this topic. My, my theme is fill the earth. Uh, fill the earth, and obviously, I'll, I'll fill this in as we go here today. Uh, I could find no better place, actually, to kind of land us as a text to talk about this theme than Acts chapter two. The book of Acts obviously is, gives you the definitive beginning of the church, of the New Testament church. And Jesus had given this commission to his disciples to go into all nations and make disciples of all nations. But, as we just heard read a bit, uh, a little bit ago, before they were to go on that mission that he had given to them, uh, he specifically instructs them, not yet. It's not time until you are clothed with power, as he said, from on high. The promise that the Holy Spirit would come, and because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence and power in them, they would be enabled to become the witnesses that he had intended them for, to be and to make disciples in all nations. So the book of Acts essentially lays out according to what I think you see in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And essentially, that's, that's the outline of the book of Acts, that you see how the gospel, in a very short period of time, really went from being kind of harbored in Jerusalem to going ultimately to Rome, but everywhere else, east, west, south, and north. Uh, and I think those Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth are pretty significant as well. Because Jerusalem, though it was the epicenter, it was, uh, they were to go to Judea. Judea was culturally and religiously like Jerusalem. It was a, Jerusalem was a part of Judea. So going to Judea was, in many ways, no big deal. They're like us, they have the same background, same culture, same language, but going to Siberia, that was crossing some borders. They were religiously different. They were not geographically far, but they were religiously and culturally different. And so they were to cross those boundaries. They were to go farther ge geographically, but also cross those boundaries of culture uh, and sometimes even language. And then the ends of the earth, obviously, you got geographic, cultural, religious, linguistic boundaries that were to be crossed. But that's what the gospel does. The gospel always breaks down barriers and boundaries and crosses them. Before we read the text from Acts chapter two, let me just actually make a, a brief comment here. Uh, maybe when you heard Acts two, you had a wave of concern even. <laughs> because honestly, in my life, I'm not sure I've actually heard a missions message out of Acts 2. I've heard messages out of Acts 2, but they're almost always dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts. But I don't think that's the primary thing that's going on in Acts chapter 2. I think in Acts chapter 2, we have this definitive launching of the church, and we have God doing it in a pretty unique fashion, don't, don't we? And so we have to ask the question, we have to step, step back and say, what was it that God was trying to communicate by the way that he inaugurated the church? And so I'm not gonna get into controversies about spiritual gifts. <laughs> I'll leave that for David. Uh, I don't wanna get into that because I think we've lost sight of the bigger thing that God is doing and what he is trying to communicate by the way that he did what he did. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get into Acts chapter two. Father, thank you for the privilege to be your children. Thank you for your word and we pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us understand it, guide us into truth and use it to change us and to make us the salt and the light and the witnesses that you have intended for us to be. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter two, I'm gonna read from verses one to 12. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So as we look at this, I want to draw out three things uh, for us. I think first, to draw out what we see of the sovereignty and the wisdom of God, essentially the fact that God has a plan for the nations. God has a plan for the ends of the earth. Um, you know, if I had to be honest, when I think about the wisdom of God, now, the wisdom of God means that there is no better way that something actually could be done other than the way that God has chosen to do it. If I'm honest, often in my life, I have to, to say, I'm not sure I see it. <laughs> I, I don't get it, Lord. How is this possibly the best way for things to be done. You ever feel that way? I think you do. But this is not one of those occasions. When I look at what's happening here, you go, well, that really makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me that God would choose to inaugurate, launch the New Testament church on this day and in this fashion. Because we're told here that in, this, in Jerusalem at this time, you had people dwelling there, devout people, uh, from every nation under heaven. So at a sovereign, strategic level, <laughs> this makes sense to me. Like if I'm going to launch a worldwide campaign, what better moment to do it than when you have the world gathered together right there. And so, in fact, we can see if we go look at a map here, uh, this will just give you a, a sense of where these particular people are from that are mentioned here, 16 different nationalities, ethnicities, uh, geographic locations perhaps, that are mentioned specifically here in Acts chapter two. So there was a strategicness. Uh, this Pentecost was, uh, I think, both strategic and symbolic in many ways as well. Um, the word Pentecost that we use, it actually means 50th, just literally the 50th. Uh, it was used in a, kind of a colloquial kind of way, just like if I were to say, hey, what are you going to do for the fourth this year? Immediately, you know, okay, you're talking about the Independence Day when I mentioned the fourth. For them, the 50th had that kind of resonance with them. So if you said, you know, Pentecost, the 50th, uh, this festival, there were several festivals that were considered pilgrims festivals. That's why it says devout people had gathered there in Jerusalem from all over the world. In fact, it says from every nation under heaven. Interesting. 
And they were gathered there because of this specific occasion. And because of this, interestingly, in the book of Acts, there were places that the apostles would go, and some that they never even went to, where it talks about the church being there. And you ask yourself, how did the church get there? If the apostles had not been the ones uh, previous to that moment to go there, a good explanation would be what you see here on this map, is that there were people gathered in Jerusalem that day who came to understand the truth about Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God who had died and risen from the dead, and that he was the Savior. So by the time they arrived, there were already people there who were believers. The church had already taken off. I think symbolically, Pentecost was, it was kind of known as the Feast of Weeks because it was the day after, seven weeks after Passover, but it was known as a harvest festival, in particular a harvest of wheat. Sometimes it was called a Feast of First Fruits. Isn't that interesting? To think of its parallel with the planting of the church, this is just the beginning, folks. This is just the first fruits of what God plans to do, the harvest that he intends to bring. Historically, also, 50 was a pretty significant number for Jewish believers. In fact, one of the commands that God had given to them, which we're not sure they ever applied, was associated with the 50th year. And that was Jubilee. And so the word 50 was associated with this year of Jubilee in which they were to cancel debts, they were to set people free who had sold themselves into slavery, Uh, they were to be released because they probably had no other way to get out other than to be released. And so think about this, Pentecost, people from all over the world, harvest, first fruits, liberation, canceling of debts. And you look at that and you think, no wonder. (laughs) No wonder God chose to do it that way. Secondly, we see not only the sovereign wisdom of God, we also see in this passage the significant dependence on the Holy Spirit. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke was the writer of both the Gospel of Luke as well as this book of Acts. And so, not only in Acts 1, but also in Luke 24, he records the fact that Jesus, prior to the ascension, uh, actually told them that they were not to depart, but they were to, uh, he said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my spirit, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So it was very, very significant, and it still is very, very significant, that the ro- of the role of the Holy Spirit and dependence on the Spirit if we are to be the witnesses that God wants us to be. We know that only God can save. That there is no rebirth, regeneration, transformation without God himself through his spirit working in an individual's life. If you have ever sought to share your faith 
you're keenly aware of that. <laughs> that if you're trying to help somebody else come to know Christ, you end up often in praying a lot because you realize I do not have the ability to actually manipulate the inner working of this person. That this is a work of God and so they were dependent on the Holy Spirit in terms of what he would do in terms of who they would witness to but they were also completely dependent on the things that the Spirit alone would provide in them. Perhaps there was no greater testimony than that of Peter. You know, Peter, on the night before Je the night Jesus died, what did he do? He denied Jesus on three occasions when people asked him, hey, do you know Jesus? You know, how's that, with, how, how's that for a witness? You know, you have a few people actually asking you, do you know that guy? No, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know anything, you know, I'm not connected to him at all. But we find on the day of Pentecost, Peter boldly, courageously, standing up before thousands and proclaiming Christ. And you go, wow, what happened? Well, what happened was the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed 2 Timothy 1.7 over the course of my life. 2 Timothy 1.7 Paul reminds Timothy that we've not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love out of a sound mind. And I think about that a lot because when I want to go somewhere and do God's work and share Christ with others, I'm always aware of, Lord, I'm not sure that I'll have any idea what to say to those people. Well, he's giving us wisdom. He will give you a sound mind. In fact, he even told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. God will give you the words that you need at the moment. And so the courage was choosing to believe that God would show up and God would provide that wisdom when the moment came. He mentions here power. I know for myself there's so many occasions which, where fear can overwhelm me. And yet God will give me, has given me strength to walk through and walk into situations. We had a chance to be a part of launching a ministry in Kosovo right after the war in 1999. First time in my life I was sitting with people that I felt like at that moment, uh, both physically and emotionally, they would have no problem killing me. And yet God showed up, granted favor, he granted wisdom, and he did a work and opening hearts to the gospel. And it, he says here, God has given us spirit of power, a spirit, uh, given us a sound mind, but he's given us love. I believe that one of the greatest challenges, if not the greatest challenge, to our witness is apathy. I simply don't care <laughs> about the fact that people don't know God and are lost. And so we need the Holy Spirit in our life to fill us with his love, to fill us with the compassion that God himself has for those that are lost and without him, to give us the courage, to give us the wisdom that we need. So we need to be led of the Spirit, filled of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit needs to be actively apparent in who we are and what we're doing. Thirdly, and you may have already seen it back on this slide, it showed up together with the second point, 
Third point, and I'm gonna camp out quite a bit here on this. I believe that what we see is an activation and affirmation of languages. So God's plan includes every people group. It says here in this passage, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So what does it mean? What is going on here with the languages in this passage? The first thing I would wanna point out that's often missed even in that spiritual gifts discussion is that these were actually active, known, in-use languages. So they were not speaking gibberish. (laughs) They were not speaking a heavenly language in this passage. They were speaking active, known, human languages that God had given them the ability. Verse six, it says, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse eight, it says, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so the confusion that was going on here was not the content of their communication. There was no confusion. They understood what they were saying. The confusing part was how is it that you, as Galileans, are speaking our language? That was confusing to them. Like, what is going on? How did you learn this? How do you know this? Now, I've, I've had the privilege, speaking Albanian, of being in a position where people have that same confusion. Um, not long ago, I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I walked, I was walking by some people, and I heard them speaking in Albanian, Ikea, in Columbus. And I thought, oh, okay, this will be fun. So I stopped and greeted them and began to speak to them in Albanian, and they just looked stunned, like, uh, you don't look Albanian. <laughs> I think that was their first comment, was you don't look Albanian, but we're trying to figure out what's going on here. How is it that you understand us and can speak to us in our mother tongue? And so we had a, a wonderful time. There was another occasion, I remember being in Austria, and we were in an elevator, and the others in the elevator were Albanian, and they were speaking in Albanian. And then you just kind of wait for it to go a little bit, and they're talking, and then you greet them. Hey, and they look at you like, oh my goodness, we thought we were having a secret conversation. (laughs) Well, I think what we see are a few things here that I would emphasize. I think one is we see God's commitment to get the gospel to people in a language they understand. So these people, most of them probably spoke up or grew up with those languages of those lands as their mother tongue, as the most common language that they were exposed to. And so God wanted them to understand what was going on, what he was doing. He wanted the gospel to be proclaimed in their heart language and in their mother tongue. But I think in addition, we see that God intended for the good news not only to be shared to them, but to be shared through them and through their language. It was through this language, their language, that he wanted to proclaim the gospel. It was through their language that he wanted to make disciples. It was through their language that he wanted to build the church and plant the church. So it's not only that God will save people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation, but he will utilize people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation 
in building his kingdom in all the earth. That's a challenging perspective, I think, a lot of times. <laughs> to really grasp the, the breadth of what God is doing in the world. It's interesting that it says that tongues of fire were over their heads. In a sense, I think that's what God is doing. He was firing up the languages. He was activating those languages to be vehicles for his kingdom purposes in all the earth. I remember being, remember uh, when a film on the life of Christ was shown in Albania for the first time. It was shown in the largest venue in the country. Now this, and it, it was the first language, this Jesus film, in 1992 that was ever dubbed into the Albanian language. And the head of the Albanian film studio got up that night, and here's what he said. He said, tonight we're gonna learn about a person who's been lost in our history. Jesus Christ. And we're gonna get to learn about this person. But we're also gonna get to hear him speaking our own beloved language. The people erupted <laughs> in applause. They stood on their, their feet and were clapping and applauding and crying, many of them, that not only are we gonna hear these words of God, we're gonna hear them in our own beloved language. Lastly, I wanna just kind of talk about the relationship between this passage and particularly this language thing it's hard not to think about Babel when you go to what happened at Pentecost, right? So I wanna just talk about this just for, for a moment. Uh, Genesis 11, where you have the story of the Tower of Babel where the languages were confused. So I, I would say in, ba in Babel what you have is a supernatural confusion. God intended confusion of language. What you have in Acts 2 is you have supernatural clarity <laughs> of language going on. And in Genesis 11, you'll see where it says that they said there at the tower they were building, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So I think you actually see here at Babel two disobedience matters. One is you see a motive. Most of the time when we talk about Babel, we comment on that, that there was a motivation that was wrong. They were building something for their own glory. God is intended for us as human beings to know him, love him, and bring glory to him. And so there was a motive problem, but there's also another problem. Do you see it? They said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now when you look at Genesis in the garden, look what it says. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and what? Fill the earth. Fill it and subdue it. We know that by the time Noah came around, the earth was filled with sin as well. But interestingly, after 
Noah and his family came out of the ark, look at this command. Isn't it just like the garden? God said, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So when the Lord appears to them here in Genesis 11, it says this. It says, so the Lord dispersed them. The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 11 leaves off and then Genesis 12 comes and God selects an individual through whom he's going to build a people for himself, a people he's going to bless. And what is the first thing that this person is called to do. He's actually called to go. So Abraham, it says, was called to go from your country to the land I will show you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so I think the Lord, the Lord is building for himself a people who would emulate Abraham, who are willing to go and fill the earth wherever it is that God would direct them to go. The scripture promises to us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But he desires for us as a people not to be people who have to be dispersed by coercion, <laughs> but to be dispersed by calling and conviction. So let me talk about two quick applications for you as a church. I'm so excited for CBF, got to be with Ben and the youth yesterday at your new uh, property and so excited to think about what the future holds. But this is a pretty definitive time for you as a church. I think a church body has to know how to do two things really, really well. One is they know, have to know how to gather well. Pastors typically like to emphasize that. You know, do not forsake the gathering of yourself together. There are a lot of people, a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus who don't know how to gather well, are not committed to being together with other believers in worship and learning and growing and serving. It is critical that every Christian know how to gather well. But it's also critical that every church and every Christian know how to scatter, know how to be dispersed. I believe that there's a big temptation toward a protectivistic kind of faith where we just wanna to stick together. But I think God wants to not only gather and grow you as you gather, he wants to scatter you in Westfield, that you would fill Westfield with his glory. He wants to scatter you in Indiana, and in, you know, throughout this state and throughout even the world. So we have to know, church, how to be scattered. How not just to stick together. And this, this was difficult for the Jewish people to believe that God had a purpose for them to actually go beyond just them. And so we have to never forget that just as God blessed Abraham and said, you will be blessed and I will make you a blessing. That God, as he blesses each one of us and any church body 
He does it uh, desiring uh, to show you his love and affection and his goodness, but also to make you a blessing to many, many others. So when, uh, when they heard there at Pentecost, it says they heard them proclaiming the mighty works of God. What were they actually saying? What did they actually hear? Was it cre- the creation story? Was it about the works of Jesus, the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, probably. We don't really know what they were saying when it says they heard them proclaiming the mighty works of God in their language. But here's what's really beautiful to me. I know something that everyone is going to say in their language. And it's found in Philippians 2. It says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will, should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesu Christi ust zot, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you are at work in the world today so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Jesus, uh, you're worthy of all of this as we've already sung about today. I pray for this body that you would use them to fill Westfield with your glory. In Jesus' name.